G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. So we're turning our attention to the work of foster carers. It's often tragedy, trauma or neglect that goes before children entering foster care. Foster carers are extraordinary people who have a special place in their hearts for children who need support at very vulnerable times in their lives. Fostering Hope Australia is about to embark on a month of prayer for children growing up in care, for more carers and for people who are working in the child protection system. It appears that in foster caring there are simply not enough carers and many of those who are existing in their roles as carers are leaving. Well, I can't help but think of those words in James chapter 1, verse 27. James wrote, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, Mary Dickens is joining us. She's coordinator of Fostering Hope. She's based in Tasmania, but serving children and families all over Australia. Mary, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Hey, Mary, for those who are not so familiar with Fostering Hope, give us a little, in a nutshell, what you do. Yep. Um, So our our whole focus is exactly that verse you just read, the James 1.27 verse, um, and it's to visit and care for children um, who need a family. Um, And the way we do that is um, raising awareness among the Christian community about the the need, um, which you expressed, the need for more foster carers, uh, the needs the fostering kinship carers face, um, equipping our churches to be safe places for children um, who have come from trauma backgrounds, um, supporting carers on the journey, um, and then ultimately trying to also be a voice that's hopeful and healing in the sector to try and make a difference for all of those working in it. And Mary, you have been working now for some years trying to pull together a national network of organisations and individuals who are working in foster care to develop a national approach. Uh, Some might be thinking, uh, surely there must be a a national approach. Uh, Is it that there are some organisations that are quite large and they're doing good work, but there's not necessarily the same uh, relationship that there needs to be? What does it mean to to build a network together uh, nationally? Yeah, so I'm very much coming as a as a Christian and speaking to to, to Christians, and um, so what we're trying to pull together is, and we have it's very early stages, but we've we've pulled together other organisations like Fostering Hope that are Christian organisations, purely speaking to to Christians in the church about this need, and trying to raise a ultimately recruit more carers and support the carers on the journey, um, and what we're hoping with that national network is that. Um, we'll have a national approach for churches. So the second Sunday of September, which um, in the in Australia, the first and second week of September, are Child Protection Week and Foster Carers Week. 
So we'll be equipping the churches in how they can engage in that conversation when the rest of Australia is also, you know, trying to grapple with these issues and offer solutions. So it's really coming together as a whole group of Christian organisations um, saying these are all God's kids <laughs> um, and we actually it's, can come together to have a, a similar conversation and support churches all over Australia um, to get engaged in this space. Undoubtedly, our conversation will centre around Christians and a role here as foster carers because it would be the case, wouldn't it, that this is traditional work of Christians. So it goes back centuries, even millennia. Uh, Christians and churches caring for those orphans and somehow over the time it's got outsourced to the state. Uh, How do you describe the way that Christians ought to be looking at this thought of foster care because uh, this is something of a responsibility that sits fairly and squarely on our shoulders uh, to care for orphans. Uh, What are your thoughts here? Yeah, that's exactly why Fostering Hope exists. <laughs> um, so when I, so I'm a foster carer, and when I began my journey just over eight years ago, um, I went into it thinking because I wanted to do overseas mission, and life was happening, and that wasn't possible. And I, I, I should have had a lot more prayer going into it, but I didn't, <laughs> and I just thought it was something I could do here. And then once I began that journey, I realised in every single way it's living out my faith. It's putting the lonely in families. It's caring for birth families and children um it's an opportunity to share your faith because you you are a bit weird you're the salt and light in your community (laughs) and people ask why are you doing it why are you doing this hard thing um and that's where fostering hope really began because we hadn't heard a sermon on a sunday morning about why christians should do foster care we hadn't heard it on radio or been to a christian event where they were promoting foster care so fostering hope began to um as you said, um, I think the Christians traditionally did did fostering or did open their home to vulnerable children or children that needed them, at, even if it was for short periods. Um, but we've left that up to the state, and now Fostering Hope and these other organisations around Australia are trying to change that conversation and say, actually, this is what God calls us to do. Um, you know, the, and there's so many verses in the Bible, um, you know, in Isaiah 58, feed the hungry and help those who are in, in trouble, shine our light into the darkness. There's just, there's, the Bible's full of verses um, encouraging us to do this work. And I think uh, having a number of conversations with you now over the years, uh, recognising that you are doing a hard thing, as you say, uh, you don't want to uh, sugarcoat the fact that it is a hard thing that you do as a foster carer, but there are people who are particularly well wired uh, to have that patience and have that ability to parent more than their own crop of children. And so doing a hard thing for some people, this is what they're made for. Parenting is in their DNA. Uh, what are your thoughts here about you know those who might be thinking, how hard is this? Uh, if, it, if it wasn't uh, really hard, maybe I'd give it a go. But, but there are some who just say, well, we just take all those things in our stride. Um, I, I think it's about going into it eyes wide open. So when we are talking to people thinking about foster care, it's going into it recognising every one of these children has got broken attachments, whether that's with birth family, extended family, pets, familiar smells or food, and every single one only enters care because they were at the receiving end of abuse and neglect 
or they witnessed it or were at risk of it. So going into it thinking it isn't going to be like raising my biological children um, and knowing I am going to have to potentially parent differently, I'm going to have to do trauma training and, and be ready to be challenged and learn about it. Um, but I really think it's not um, God calls us to step into the hard and um, I sometimes use the analogy of chocolate. <laughs> you only get chocolate because you have the sugar and the, the bitter cocoa and that's like this journey. It's There are lots and lots of hard moments but the joy when we do something for God, you know, a, a child who isn't my biological child calling me mum or seeking comfort from me or me getting to be, you know, through God's work, but be part of seeing them heal and be a regular kid able to engage in class. Um, That's all the joys you you get on this journey. And even being able to walk alongside a birth family that's struggling. um, Christians are uniquely placed to do that because we, I think, yeah, well, hopefully we have a hope in everyone around us. We are a a peculiar people uh, as Christians, <laughs> and there is some extra dimensions, some extra tools in the toolbox that we call on uh, that we hope uh, gives us some level of functionality in our family so that we can extend our care to others. Uh, when you talk about broken attachments and like a disrupted family environment for children, uh, those disruptions can affect a child for life, can't they? And so if you are stepping in almost uh, for some, no doubt, like a Band-Aid solution, uh, for others it's going to be a more permanent capacity of their capacity to care. Uh, what are your thoughts here for the disrupted family environment that seems to be, and maybe this is anecdotal, you might have some statistics here, but things seem to be getting tougher for some families. They're not as functional as perhaps some of us might remember they used to be. Uh, thoughts here around uh, brokenness, uh, broken attachments, disruption to family life. Um, yep, so you're describing every child. That's the reason they enter care. Um, and um, But the incredible way God's created us is a broken relationship is healed through relationship. So what we can actually offer is um, if there's a broken relationship, we can offer a relationship that says to that child, you're perfectly and wonderfully made. You have a purpose and a plan. Um, doesn't matter what's happened to you. I'm going to keep walking alongside you and advocating for you and caring for you. And even as you say, even if that's for a short period of time um, or for the rest of their life, we have an opportunity to reframe that for them. Um, and we, we do live in Australia where, well, access sometimes to allied health is 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 tricky we do have child psychologists and occupational therapists and all those extra services and supports um that we can we as a carer can advocate for to put around our children um and i think the other part of your question is um to actually as a church as the church (laughs) as the christians to think seriously about what god says about family and we should be the place that if it like puts these children into family and loves them and shows them God's family and God's community. Um, One of the big things we do with Fostering Hope, it's not just about recruiting carers, but it's actually then saying who else is in your community that can be that extended family around that child and around that family who can be the respite carer, which is the person that has the child, you know, once a month or once a fortnight, who can be the mentor for that child, um, who can be someone that's 
who's your prayer team around that family? So, so who as a church community, we can also show a, a picture and, dem- and actually live out family for that child. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, we're talking foster carers and foster children today and would love to have your insights. So our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Mary Dickens is our guest. She's coordinator of Fostering Hope and she's based in Tasmania and serving children and families all over Australia. So no matter where you are listening in today, uh, any state or territory, you'll be able to be in touch with Mary Dickens at fosteringhope.community. Mary, let's take a call. Simon is in Airlie Beach in Queensland. Uh, Simon, uh, welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Mary. How are you? Very well. Simon, what are your thoughts? Well, I've got two different viewpoints on uh, on adoption and uh, well adoption is one of the viewpoints but the other one you know when it comes to fostering my, you know my wife and I we're not allowed to have any kids even though we'd, we have one little girl and she was very much a miracle and we were told that we shouldn't be having any more children so we looked into uh, the fostering and that kind of thing and we just really haven't actioned anything more of it at the moment my little girl turns mine this year but at the same time we also looked at adoption um sorry just going back quickly but you know with with the fostering care you know to be to be 100 percent honest i cannot imagine taking a foster child and looking after them for a month two months six months two years and then suddenly like everything has goes especially around here where we are you have to give the child back and then a child comes back again because it's been abused again and then it constantly repeats itself over and over again. You know, I strongly feel that there should be some kind of movement towards the federal government or the politicians or whatever to reform um, uh, adoption laws in Australia. Because, you know, we've got friends and family who have tried to adopt in Australia, and it's virtually impossible. You have to go overseas to uh, adopt a child if you want to. Yeah, I find that kind of thing just absolutely ludicrous. Simon, let's get a thought or two from our guest. Mary, um, you know the difference between adoption and fostering, the fact that it's almost impossible to adopt, but when you do foster, sometimes that's got time limits on it and there's all sorts of loving attachments made and then you've got to give that child back. And uh, Give us your thoughts here, Mary, for Simon. Yeah, it's a a great point you raised, Simon. Um, so I guess a bit of context, as Simon said, adoption is, is very hard in Australia and the numbers um, are extremely low each year of local adoptions. Um, and I think that goes back my obs- observation of to the stolen generation and forced adoptions and as a government the policy then flipped completely the other way to we don't do adoption. Um, and so... The world of foster care, we try and frame it as you're being a family for a child, not getting a child for your family. And so it, it's a little difference, but hopefully people then go into it thinking, I'm going to be a family for that child as long as that child needs me or needs us. Um, and I, I hear what you said, Simon, that that makes it, doesn't make it any easier when you, ha- when you have attached to a child and you care for a child and then you see them returning to a birth family situation, which isn't ideal. Um, that is, I guess, the world of foster care and it is also the reason people who want to adopt and have a child forever 
it's a reason they won't enter the fostering world. Um, every state and territory is supposed to have a permanency, permanency planning, which means there should be a pathway to permanent in care or adoption. So those of you listening in New South Wales, there's a foster to adopt um, system in New South Wales. Um, and I totally agree with Simon that I think nationally politicians should be having this conversation because there are a lot of children and a lot of carers who um, are in a position where kids want to belong in a family. They've, you know, I have a um, 15 year, almost 15 year old and um, he's been with me for eight years and I am his family. Uh, my little two boys have never lived in any other home. And they just want to belong. Lots of kids in care say, I just want to have your same last name. Um, I just want to, I want to have that piece of paper that says I'm part of this family. Um, so definitely that's some of the advocacy work that Fostering Hope and other organisations do. Um, but, yeah, I guess where we're at at the moment, it is preparing for the fostering journey to think, to know that um, there is always going to be a birth family involved and um, unfortunately sometimes decisions are made that, we don't perceive as in the best interests of the child. Uh, Simon, uh, is that a helpful response there? Because, yes, uh, that whole being prepared for taking a hit uh, down the track of uh, having that detachment yourself, you have to prepare yourself for even the possibility of your own heartache. Is that helpful, Simon? Yeah, it is, absolutely. Uh, you know, another sort of thought now with, uh, with what Mary just said is, um, you know, what does, you know, if a child is put into foster care, obviously the parents are, are, are have got a few issues. What what happens when what happens with those parents? Are they are, are they somehow helped to try and get off? Let's say, for example, for, get off drugs or try and get out of a violent situation. You know, how how do we put a child back into a situation where the child has been abused violently or or anything like that? What what has happened with those parents? Is there some kind of training with the parents that that kind of suits the child's family home better now that the child can then be put back into that family? Simon, good thought. Mary? <laughs> yep. Yeah, great question. So, yep, so children only enter care if there has been abuse or neglect or risk of. Um, and um, on paper, the policy is there's immediate work done with that birth family to address the reasons, that the safety issues is the words used, um, that led to the child entering care. So that's, um, yeah, as you say, um, Things addressing addiction, um, domestic violence, um, might be, you know, housing, whatever the needs are. Um, unfortunately, in every state and territory, we don't have enough child safety officers. So that intense work that on paper could be done with that birth family just isn't done. And that is often why we see um, case directions and decisions lagging on and on for years because there's just no there aren't the resources to work intensely with that birth family um and i guess just also the other sorry the other side of that is um you know if i put myself in the position if one of my children had been removed i wouldn't have very healthy coping mechanisms and i'm a pretty well adjusted person with a good community around me for these um birth families their coping mechanism when a child when when their children are removed um, might not be very good and they might disappear for six months or um, actually not engage with the department um, or be really angry. So there's a whole lot that's going on there that also inhibits that intense work being done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Simon, yeah. 
Thank you so much for your call, Simon. Uh, Valuable insights and concerns that you've raised there. Uh, Let's take some more calls. An anonymous caller from New South Wales. Hello, welcome along. Hello. Hi there. What are your thoughts? Um, So I work for New South Wales Health and am part of the out-of-home care health pathway in New South Wales Health. So there are national guidelines for the health needs for children and young people that are in out-of-home care. New South Wales has quite a robust system. So one of the things that I wanted to put out there was that the carers know that there are health pathways that are assessment, referral and linkage services to help link in with the health needs um, for the children and young people that are in out-of-home care. A wonderful thought there. Uh, Mary, your thoughts for our caller? Yeah, um, I yeah I agree. Um, there are, I think it requires a lot of work as the carers to advocate for some of those needs. But um, and each state and territory resources that differently. Um, but definitely, I think in our current, even with NDIS and um, um, schools, government schools and private schools being much more aware of um, trauma behaviours and ADHD and autism spectrum disorder, there are definitely other the Um, resources out there to offer the supports around our children. Uh, Wonderful insights uh, from that uh, anonymous caller, but thank you so much for calling through. Let's squeeze one more call in if we can before news. Patrick is in WA. Hi, Patrick. Welcome. Yeah, good morning, Neil and Mary. And just listening to Simon's comments about the the system being broken, there's no doubt about that. And the the families, the children come out of it are broken. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming out of it. I just want to encourage your listeners, fostering is, is a clear example where you don't look at the big picture, otherwise you get overwhelmed, then you get cynical, and then you get apathetic. Fostering, you just look at what we can do. And, you know, Christ is the friend of a little guy. You read the passage of Scripture in Second Kings, a little Hebrew slave. Her name's not even mentioned, but because of her name and got healed. Just, just look at what we can do and not worry about what we can't do, the little picture. I'll just got a couple of, um, uh, just a couple of words of encouragement. If people go, do go fostering, practically don't take a child in that's older than any of your own children. Always bring a child into your home that's younger than your youngest, then it doesn't affect the, uh, the uh, way things are happening in your house. That, that's just a practical term. Also, uh, with their birth parents, so the children know they've got a, where their mum and dad, but they've got a mother and father and they'll have contact with them uh, through different stages if they can. When you have contact with the parents, make sure you don't bring them into your own home and, and don't invite them to your own church because the children, they need a safe place. Home and church is a safe place where they don't have to look over their shoulder because they have been traumatised. By all means, invite them to another church and that... Um, we visit a lot of churches and we meet two kinds of people. They say, oh, you're doing a great job. We can never do that. Extraordinary. Foster carers aren't extraordinary people. They're just, they're just, we're just fumbling along like everyone else. Just, we're just having a go. Well, Patrick, and, um, the other people, I've got to cut in here, Patrick, because we're about to go to news. Uh, but thank you very much for just offering some really practical wisdom there. And uh, we might be able to pick up on a point or two 
after the news. We'll check in and uh, see if Mary wants to contribute more. Uh, Mary, coming back to Patrick, who called in just before the news, and we didn't have time to get your comments, uh, but he offered uh, some tremendous wisdom. And one of the things that he said was, don't take in a child whose age is older than your existing children. I wonder if you've got a thought around that because uh, it does seem like wisdom because sometimes uh, you might risk having your own children uh, being influenced a wrong way. What are your thoughts for those views of Patrick? Yeah, and and thank you, Patrick, for calling. It was a lovely insight he gave. Um, Yes, as a general policy rule across Australia, that it is to take children younger than your youngest and to not disrupt the birth order of your children. Um, I, I agree with that as a definitely a, the right um, piece of advice. Um, I also, as Christians, there's also room for God. <laughs> and so um, in my situation, um, my eldest son is actually my foster son by a couple of months. He was at the same school as my biological children, I knew things were tough for him and his mum and was supporting his mum. So when he came into care, um, his mum asked if he could live with us. He asked if he could live with us. Um, and it actually has just been incredible. My five boys uh, just see themselves as brothers and it hasn't his, – his personality and interests are totally different to my two biological sons, so it actually hasn't caused conflict. Um and I know of carers who began a caring, caring journey before they had biological children. So then they had older children and then had their own children or began their caring journey when they had a, a young baby because they knew a family and had a relationship with them and wanted to support. So definitely wise advice and particularly people beginning the journey to think of, to take that on. Um, but, yeah, just being open to how God wants to use us as well. One of the other things Patrick mentioned was the connection that you have, not only with the child, but also with that child's birth family. And uh, some might be concerned about that. How do you uh, balance the caring responsibility for child and then the caring responsibility that some will uh, automatically take because they are compassionate people for uh, connecting with the birth family as well? Yeah, um, that's a great point Patrick raised and it is a, um, again, it's a wisdom thing. We have, and I've learnt the hard way by um, becoming too close to birth parents and then it becomes muddy because then you can't actually provide that safety that Patrick talked about for the child um, because of the relationship with the birth parent. And I think a lot of us who go into fostering as Christians, we want to heal everybody and, you know, fix everybody. Um, So it's actually knowing that my priority is the child that's in my home and keeping them safe. And actually the child protection system, the out-of-home care workers, they're there for the birth family and I can be praying for them, praying with their children for them. Um, But at the end of the day, have to trust that um, there's someone else on the journey that's going to be supporting them. Um, But there are also plenty of opportunities um, depending on the safety concerns. And again, each situation is different. You can do birthdays together in a safe place in a park um, and there might be situations where the birth parents can come and watch, you know, a soccer game or a sports game or something because it's in a neutral location and it's all safe. Um, and sometimes also once all the legal side of things, the back and forth and the, um, the, the orders, you know, whether it's a 12-month order or a two-year order, 
if a child actually is then permanently in care, so going to be part of my family for the rest of their life, then sometimes the relationship with the birth family can really improve because all of that's out of the way and everybody knows where we, who's where and where everybody stands. Um, but, yeah, definitely making sure that your priorities with the child is part of the fostering journey. Wonderful. And uh, just acknowledging it was great input from Patrick. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for calling through. Let's continue to take some calls. Another anonymous caller in New South Wales. Hi, welcome along. Hello. Yeah, we're in southern New South Wales. There's a couple of points I wanted to make. Because of that, they're sort of like border issues because actually uh, we've done foster care through Victoria. Um, just initially, we did um, like respite sort of emergency care. So it was like from overnight up to maybe two weeks, like school holidays type care. We had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. So all the children we actually had were were older. Um, and that was actually all worked out very well because the uh, little children, I guess, are cute. They, they play. Little children are also very um, accepting. So that worked out very well. Um, there were two children that we had regularly over a number of years and it was a bit like just having school holidays with um, you know uncle and auntie on the farm that was really good and uh, both did actually contact us we haven't kept contact but contact us in later years just to um, you know to, to recontact and say how they were doing which was nice um, then we had a break just because of our own growing family and then actually one of the children that we had fostered uh, briefly contacted us uh, because she was um, sort of in in crisis and uh, kept in touch and then had a a number of children. Some were removed uh, into foster care and then she um, actually asked us to have uh, one of her children. So she was nearly five, now she's 19. But another of the the border situations, like right from the start, she kind of signed her over that she was never going to ask for this child back. And we asked about adoption, but the situation in Victoria is uh, basically you can't adopt um, foster children. But but she always wanted to have, yeah, Yeah. wanted to have our name, same family name as the family. Um, When she was uh, at 16... Uh, we tried to do a name change, but that was, and then COVID came in and all the birth, deaths and marriages all kind of shut down. But we're also told, like, when she was 18, you can do an adult adoption. But um, we've been trying, <laughs> we've been trying and keep getting dead ends how to, how to do that. It and, is um, an ongoing no, responsibility, especially when they reconnect with you. And a, a, a thought here from Mary for our caller. Um, yeah, thank you for your call. And at the point you raised even about respite when you began your journey, um, we probably haven't highlighted that. And, and respite care is a um, a lot of respite carers will say, I, "I'm just respite." Respite carers are amazing. Um, we they, are, as the caller said, have the children. It can be once a month or school holidays, and they really offer that extended family around a fostering family which can often mean a placement will last and be stable. Um, and Christian foster carers love Christian respite carers because it's that consistency. Um, and even respite carers in their same church, so it isn't 
you know, going to respite. It's just, yeah, going to that extended family's house for that weekend. Um, so, yeah, I think respite is something that a lot of people could do and um, can do at any age. We have respite carers who are young couples or singles um, or at the other, you know, other end of their life and they become pseudo-grandparents for these children. So it is something lots of people can do. So it sounds like respite care could be something like a testing of the waters uh, before diving in a little deeper. Thank you so much to that anonymous caller. Uh, let's continue to take some calls. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's uh, take a call from Robin in Melbourne. Hello, Robin. Welcome. Hello, Neil and Mary. Thank you for being part of this conversation. Our pleasure. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts? Okay, I'd just like to just to share a little of my story. Um, some years ago, um, my husband and I, we had a 12-month-old baby and um, an opportunity came up to uh, offer long-term care to a 14-year-old girl. And I, I went home and I prayed and the Lord said, open your heart to her. And so she came into our house and yes, we had our up and downs, but oh my, what depth, um, you know, did she bring into our family? And I, you know, yes, it was very difficult. We were doing with some social workers and counsellors. And unfortunately, after a few years, uh, the placement broke down. But oh my goodness, you know, um, you know, many years down the track, she's now in her 40s. She's now married with two children. And I have the honour of being a, um, an honorary grandparent to those two beautiful children. And look, I just want to encourage people to pray. Mm-hmm. Ask the Lord what he would have them to do. We have so much to share um, in our family lives with these children you know, our love and our care and our compassion. Um, and they just want to be part of a family, a, a sense of belonging and, and love and security. That's all they're asking for. Yeah, that's Robin, really what, what a wonderful uh, story that you have to tell. And when we mentioned a little earlier that there are challenges but there are rewards You've got yeah. the big picture there. You've uh, you've come to this, uh, you know, the maturity of being able to see the rewards here. Uh, Mary, your thoughts for Robin? Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Robin. And even for me, I'm you know, my I'm still in the journey. <laughs> so it's so encouraging to hear someone that is seeing the fruits of that. Um, and I think your point of we can also get overwhelmed with the trauma and attachment. But your simple point of what we can offer of belonging and safety and a family goes a long way as well. Robin, thank you so much for your great insight and for telling your story. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let me ask you, uh, what is an important uh, element of when we're talking about uh, foster parents? Uh, is this profile? Uh, because some will be thinking. Do I really fit the profile? Do I really want to get into something that will be hard? It may have a reward down the track, but what's the perfect profile here? Uh, or even do you have to have a perfect profile to be a foster carer? Uh, thoughts here, Mary? 
Yep. Um, actually, I think what Robin said, it's probably prayer. <laughs> um, but it's anything. Um, carers can be single, married, with kids, without kids, working, not working, um, renting, owning their home. You just have to be over 18 in Australia um, and be willing to, as we said earlier, be willing to offer a family for a child that needs one um, as your main motivation. Um, it's okay to if your motivation is we want more children or we can't have a child so we want this is a way to have a child, those are all valid reasons but because it is fostering and not adopting to go into it that eyes wide open. Um, and like I said just before, we also need respite carers um, and one of the programs Fostering Hope runs is mentors, um, a mentoring program for children in care. So those are those extra adults in their life that are just there for that child. They're not paid to look after them um, they're Christians um, and they're people that just want to turn up and say, you're worth hanging out with and I want to hang out with you. Though lots of dimensions in there, respite care <laughs> and also a mentoring program. Hey, come back to what is one of the essential elements of our conversation today, and that is a shortage of foster carers in Australia. Uh, a shortage of full-time and respite carers. This extends, no doubt, right across the nation. How do you feel about that, Mary? And, uh, you know, is there any particular, you know, special statistic that you can point to that says, I mean, you know, we get tired of hearing statistics. Uh, we just know that there is a shortage of foster carers and uh, how you respond is simply by, I guess, by getting in touch. But what are your thoughts on this shortage? Um. My uh, my thoughts on the shortage is my call today to, out to the Christian community that we could feel this feel this shortage. Um, so unfortunately, every year in Australia, the number of children entering care is increasing. Um, so as of last June last year, there were forty six thousand two hundred children growing up in out of home care. So that's not in their family of birth. Um, and at the same time, we lost two hundred and five fostering families. And we were only able to recruit just over 100. So we have a net deficit. Um, and so we have it. It's a huge problem. And unfortunately, it's the same with people working in the child protection systems where they're, they're all understaffed at the moment. Um, so these are children that, as we've talked about, the most vulnerable member of any community are the children without the protection of their parents. And we desperately need families for them. Um, and I think your profile of the carer as well, it's, some people think, oh, foster carers are going to have 100 children through their home or, you know, eight children at one time. Um, actually, um, the only stats I could find were in Tasmania and the majority of fostering families only have one, one I shouldn't say only, but have one child in them um, and then it's two. So if, if we could each have one child and, and offer them that stability and um, a family, that that's all we need to do. <laughs> Connecting your Christian faith as a parent and uh, people know when they've got that little extra capacity or there might be something tugging at their heartstrings listening to a conversation like this. But connecting our Christian faith to this because uh, some might say, well, aren't there all sorts of secular families uh, that are putting their hands up? Uh, we might even be able to get a contrast between the motives because there is a certain local mission, there's a certain compassion that comes from the Christian heartbeat, as we've been talking about the thought of caring for orphans. 
there is a sort of a local missionary dimension to all this, isn't there? Because sometimes you can be very happily warming a pew in your local church uh, when in actual fact you've got this wonderful opportunity to really serve God in a tremendous way and affect the life of a child uh, through uh, their whole lives. Uh, thoughts here on on this sort of local mission aspect of, of being a foster carer? Yeah, thanks, Neil. That, this, <laughs> that's how Fostering Hope tries to frame it, that foster carers and kinship carers, so um, kinship carers are people known to the child, um, are local missionaries. Um, they are living out their faith right where they are. And just like you might have a church as a family with an overseas mission where you have to pray for that and you often have a prayer team or a supporting team for that overseas missionary, how can our churches support the foster carers and kinship carers in their churches um, to put that prayer team around them and that extra support around them? Um, and, yeah, it is totally just living out our faith, being a carer. And come back to this month of prayer because mm. uh, there'll be some who are saying, well, I'm already a foster carer and I'd love to participate in a month-long prayer because I recognise there's a real need here. Uh, there are those, though, who are not foster carers and thinking this might be a direction uh, to be involved in that month of prayer. Is that uh, is there something that you can resource them with some uh, prayer points and those sorts of things or adopt people into uh, that prayer for foster uh, families and for foster children. How does this month-long prayer work? Yeah, so it's come about because of the frustration <laughs> of not being able to find enough carers. So um, starting on um, the 1st of April on the Fostering Hope Facebook page and Instagram pages, there will be a prayer point each day for the month of April. And I'd love, um, ultimately, we're wanting to give this up to God and ask to him to find answers and find more carers. And so if people want to participate, just um, check into the Facebook page or the Instagram page and um, just, yeah, follow that prayer point for the day. Well, respite care, mentoring, as those things that some people will test the waters before actually taking the plunge and becoming a foster carer. Uh, let me point listeners to how they can connect today uh, with you, Mary, fosteringhope.community. That's the website, fosteringhope.community. And uh, for listeners to know that you're based in Tasmania, Mary, uh, but you're serving children and families all over Australia, states and territories far and wide. Uh, so you're based there in Tasmania. How do you connect with people uh, interstate? I mean, uh, is there something special we need to know about the way you connect? Um. No, so that one of the main one of the main ways we connect is through our preparation for fostering devotional. So that's something who are people who are considering whether this might be right for them. Um, we that's a way that we do that on Zoom every so often, about four times a year. Um, and then trying to connect Christian carers with other carers because the journey, as we've talked about, can be challenging, but doing it with others makes such a big difference. Um, and linking in with Mary's wisdom on being a foster carer, uh, it's worth the connection. So uh, let me point listeners to fosteringhope.community, fosteringhope.community. And uh, Mary Dickens, as the coordinator of Fostering Hope, and no doubt there'll be another Stand Sunday, which is uh, where you like to draw churches into having uh, people stand in their church and 
uh, be champions of those who are in the fostering community. Uh, no doubt we'll talk again before that this year as well. But I know you're behind that and uh, churches and they have an important role to play as well in the pastoral care of those families that are actually involved in fostering. But Mary Dickens, thank you so much for taking some time to share your heart with us once again today on 2020. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.